blessing to be here. We have literally turned this church around since I've been here. Amen. And boy, what a beautiful job you've done in remodeling and redoing and all of that. And uh, I praise God for that, Brother David. It's beautiful, and uh, we appreciate the good spirit that's here. And uh, thank God for the opportunity to come. And I know you've been praying, and we'll continue to pray uh, that the Lord will help us. And I'm keenly conscious and aware, know that He has to do His work. This is a spiritual matter, and it takes more than just some man. It takes the power of the Holy Ghost to do that work that needs to be done in these days. We're all aware of that, and our eyes are upon the Lord, and we're going to look to Him and ask Him for His help in these hours. All right, starting in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter number 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, dear God, that you've given us the holy word preserved and inerrant and infallible. Lord, as we look to you tonight, we ask you to give us grace and strength to be able to expound upon these truths that are before us. Lord, open our ears and the eyes of our understanding. Lord, grant unto us those spiritual wisdom and knowledge of the revelation in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we plead the blood to ask you to deal with sinners in these days, where you'd convict and open up hearts. Thank you for this 11-year-old girl that got saved this morning. Lord, I pray this would just be the beginning of many that would come to know you as Lord and Savior and be saved by the grace of God. I ask you, Lord, that you might bless in revival fires. And Lord, stir the heart of your people up. Do for us as only you can. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel of the King, the Lord Jesus. It is the majestic Gospel. Matthew, we see him as King, and there's a lot of reasons that we 
believe that. We come to Mark, we see him as the holy servant. You find the word and multiple times in the gospel of Mark. And, 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 and. He's continually serving there. The gospel of Luke, he's the virgin born perfect son of man. And there you see him operating in uh, the power of God, but through humanity. You come to the gospel of John, we see him as uh, the deity and the divine Lord of glory, the Son of God, yea, God the Son. Now, in each of these gospels, there are many threads of truth that uh, run through each one, and one truth ties into another. And tonight, I want to begin looking at what I call the majestic mountains of Matthew. Uh, There are many mountain ranges in the world that are majestic. I think about the Smoky Mountains. Man, these leaves are going to turn in a few days, and uh, you won't hardly be able to get out into the highway on any given weekend. People coming from all over the world uh, to view the leaves. The Smoky Mountains are the number one visited park in the whole world, and when they get up there and they look around, they're just uh, in breathtaking awe of what God hath created. I had a Frenchman come and stay at our house for about three weeks, and I took him all over the place, and when I finished up, I asked David, I said, well, what'd you think about this? He said, well, I was raised in Paris, and from the time I was a child, when you get up, all you see is man-made structure. You see buildings, you see concrete, you see artwork of man, everything you see is man. But he said, I came up here and I've stayed with you, and for these last three weeks, everywhere I look, it's God's creation. I stand out on your front porch and look out over these mountains and it just takes my breath away. We've traveled all over this country and everything just seems to be pointing under the Lord and under the glory of His blessed name. The Blue Ridge Mountains are beautiful. The Rocky Mountains are awesome place. The Cascades and uh, the Himalayas and a lot of these other mountain ranges you look at and they've all got their unique beauty. Uh, But in the Gospel of Matthew, there is mountain after mountain after mountain uh, that the king visits. And on each one of these mountaintops, he does something special. And uh, I want to visit these mountaintops, God willing. Now in chapter number 4, we read of the three temptations that uh, Satan put on the Lord Jesus. And in verse number 8, he said, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. And there the devil tempted the Lord Jesus. And I want to look tonight at this thought of the mountains of temptation. The mountains of temptation. Now when we think about the temptation of the Lord Jesus, there was a question went around years ago. Could Jesus have sinned? I like what Brother Atif Ahmadi did. We were just north of Hebron, Israel. I was preaching in a meeting there. And during the meeting, we had a question and answer session uh, in the evening. And people would write questions and then put them in a little basket, would draw a question out. And I tried to answer that question. And one of the questions was, could Jesus have sinned? And I said, no. And Brother Octave said, let me answer this with a question. Did Jesus sin? And everybody said, no. He said, end of question. Amen. There's your answer. Did he sin? No. Could he have sinned? No. Absolutely not. But yet, at the same time in his humanity, the Bible says in Hebrews that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet 
without sin. He had no sin. He overcame all of that, and yet he was tempted. And as we look at the temptation of our Lord, it begins at the very outset of his ministry and uh, prepares him and readies him for public ministry. Now, uh, we're all tempted, and the Bible talks about in Peter those trials and those temptations that uh, we have to face again and again, and the Scripture speaks of manifold temptations. That word manifold, you know, as fellas that work on cars, we say, uh, you know, it's got the manifold. Well, that means that it's got an exhaust port for each one of the cylinders. Uh, it's got eight of them if it's an eight-cylinder, six if it's six-cylinder, and we have the manifold. Well, there are manifold temptations. That means there's a multitude, and there are different colors. That word means multicolored, and there are different kinds of temptations, and there are different uh, ways that the devil comes at us, and he uses his sly trickery and his ploys, and uh, tries to destroy us. But as we examine the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that where Adam and Eve sinned against God, Jesus overcome in every area. You go back to Genesis and you look at that and you'll see how that the devil tried to come at Jesus and Adam and Eve failed, 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 failed. But the last Adam, the Son of God, overcame in every point and in every way. Now, as we look at this scripture, I want you to notice first the setting of temptation. When did these temptations come? Well, we go back in uh, Matthew chapter number 3, and we see, first of all, it was in a day of fulfilled scripture. It said in verse 1, And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now it's plain in chapter number 2, God is fulfilling Scripture. It's been 400 years of silence from Malachi to this point and the beginning of the writing of Matthew. God had given no fresh revelation. He'd given no fresh word. But now all of a sudden, the Old Testament prophecies are going to come to life. And like soldiers called to attention, they're going to begin to line up. And one by one, as Jesus passes by, each one of these prophecies are going to salute him and say, that's him, that's him, that's him. And one of these fulfilled scriptures was the forerunner, John the Baptist. It was written in Isaiah that there would come a voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And my, what a stir Brother John made. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are at least 60 references, to, and it was fulfilled. And as it was written, and it came to pass, and scriptures are activated now, and boy, one after another, from John the Baptist, the forerunner, to the virgin birth, to uh, those following the star out of Jacob, and uh, the genealogy is beginning to be unfolded. Uh, we read in the Word of God how that line upon line, prophecy after prophecy, is being now fulfilled. And in those days, then Jesus was led into the wilderness and He was tempted of the devil. And you know, whenever we have Scripture fulfilled in our lives, you better brace and get ready because the devil's coming after you. If you don't have any scripture being fulfilled in promise form in your life, 
devil's not going to bother you much. But when you begin to lay hold on the promises of the Word of God, look out, Satan's going to try to cut you for a loop. You got saved by the grace of God. And I got saved, I trusted God's promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I fell in that altar and I cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and God saved me. At night I got up out of that altar almost drunkified from the power of God convicting and dealing and then the Lord saving me and the burden of sins rolling off of my back. God fulfilled scripture in my life. And I thought, man, oh man, I'll not have any problem with the devil now. And it wasn't long till I went down the road and locked horns with the devil as God began to fulfill scripture in my life. You get the scripture fulfilled, wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. I'll be a father unto you, you'll be my sons and daughters. You start cleaning up and getting right with God and selling out to the Lord. Look out, here's going to come temptation. You have the fulfilled scripture of a calling of God in your life. And you begin to yield to that call, whatever it might be. Don't think it strange if there's opposition and things begin to come against you that you never have dreamed that would ever come against you. It was a day of fulfilled scripture. But then number two, it was a day of faithful submission. Look in verse number 14 of chapter number uh, 3. Look in verse 13. Then come a Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism, water baptism, is a testimony. And Jesus submitted unto the man of God that God had raised up and he testified to all people that he would be uh, die, that he would be buried, that he would raise to walk in the newness of life and all that would trust in him could be saved by the grace of God. And had Jesus not submitted to the man of God and the ordinance at hand, then he would have not fulfilled all righteousness, but he would have sinned against the Lord. And Jesus submitted unto that. You know, every believer needs to be baptized. It's called believer's baptism. And if you have never been baptized after you got saved, then you need to be. Because it is an outward testimony of what God inwardly did in your heart. And I know there are some folk that struggle with that. And if you've never been baptized as a saved person, then you're studied in your growth. You come out of the starting blocks. The first thing God says, I want you to be baptized. And when you look in the New Testament, you don't find any unbaptized believers. When the Ethiopian got saved, Philip pulled the wagon over. They went down into the water. He got baptized. When the Philippian jailer got saved, Paul found somewhere. It may have been a watering trough, but the old boy got baptized. When Lydia got saved, guess what? She got baptized. When Saul of Tarsus got saved, he arose forthwith and was baptized by Ananias and he identified himself with the ministry, with the work of God and he testified to everybody that he is identified with the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Some folk overemphasize it like the Camelites and the water baptismal regeneration crowd, but some folk underemphasize that. But notice now, it's after the day of his faithful submission. He was submitting to the Father, whatever the Father wanted him to do. Whenever he wanted him to do, Jesus was completely submissive unto that. Some people have the attitude, well, you know, if I can just get it all submitted unto God, I won't have any problems. Well, you get submitted to God, and lo and behold, you're headed for the mountain of temptation. Then we find, thirdly, it was a day of the fullness of the Spirit of God. Look in verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. In the Gospel of John, the Bible says that the Father gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. He needed and he operated in the power of the Holy Ghost. As the perfect man, he relied upon the power of the Spirit of God. And I've often thought, if Jesus, being the perfect, sinless Son of God, the one who didn't do anything wrong, needed the power of the Holy Ghost to do all things that He did to please the Father, how much more do you and I need to pray, O Lord, empty me out and fill me with the Holy Ghost of God? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 5, uh, be not drunk on wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And the fullness of the Holy Ghost is mentioned throughout the epistles. And uh, you see it again and again in the book of Acts. And God's work went forth as they were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. You're struggling. You're, you're having difficulties doing what God wants you to do. You may just need to be filled with the Holy Ghost because He gives us the energy. He gives us the strength. He gives us the vision and the power. He grants us the wisdom. He grants us the unction to accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish. And when you get full of the Holy Ghost of God, my soul, you're becoming a warrior that the Lord can use and He's not going to leave you sitting somewhere in a bunker. You're going to get out and you're going to have to face these trials and these temptations just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. And there's a lot of folk, they sort of do like that tribe of Reuben, and they just say, all right, boys, it's all right for y'all to go get Canaan, but we'll stay over here on the other side of Jordan, you know, and uh, we'll help you fight, and you can have it, but we're going to stay over here. And there's a lot of folk like that. Preacher, we don't mind you getting excited. Praise God, brother, we don't mind you really getting blessed. Man, we don't really mind you getting stirred up. Just leave me alone. Just leave me where I'm at, because they know. So when you get full of God, it's Katie bar the door. You got an enemy going to stir up against you. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And then we find lastly, it was a day of fasting solitude. Fasting solitude. I say lastly, there's another one. And that is the Father's satisfaction. Look in verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. The Father's looking at the Son saying, I'm satisfied with him. And by the way, he makes an announcement from heaven, this is the Son of God. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. This is my beloved Son. This is the Son of God. 
And what is it the devil challenges him at? Every time these temptations, if thou be what? The Son of God. Well, the Father's already said, this is my Son, you are my Son. He is the Son of God. And the devil comes along and says, if you're really the Son of God, then prove you. He didn't have to prove nothing. He was already announced to be the Son of God. You ever notice how before you got saved, the devil said, oh, you're saved, you're saved, you're all right. And then after you get saved, the devil says, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved. He's a liar and the father of it. I say, praise God, I'm washed in the blood. The Lord birthed me into his family. I, knew who, I know who my heavenly father is. Thank God I'm happy in Jesus. And we are who we are, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, the children of the living God. And yet the devil will look at us and say, oh, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. But the father's already put the word out. So praise God, I'm going to trust what the father said rather than what the devil has said. Amen. And then it was a day of fast and solitude. In uh, verse number 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came, here came the devil to tempt him. Fasting. Fasting. You ever tried fasting? A lot said in the Bible about fasting. Fasting does a lot of things. It chastens our soul. Brings us into submission in our own mind and heart. It produces in us a dedication before the Lord. And there are many benefits to fasting. That's doing without food. And some fast are doing without food and water. Some fast are doing without other things. It may be some other things you're involved in. You cut that off. You fast that off so you can spend some time with the Lord. Uh, Isaiah talks about the chosen fast. It was a practice in the book of Acts that the believers would fast and pray. The Lord Jesus told us this kind can come but by prayer and by fasting. And by the way, if we want a real revival here at Broad River Baptist Church, I believe God might put it in the heart of some folk to push the plate back and use that time to pray, to back off food for maybe a day or so, put a few meals aside, and say, Lord, I'm going to spend this time with you and really get down to business with God. And whenever you're fasting, there's some soul searching that goes on. But not only is there some soul searching that goes on, the Bible said when Jesus fasted, then came the tempter. And because you fast and you seek the Lord doesn't mean you brought out of the arena, but it'll put you in the arena. But through that, God will give you strength to be able to overcome. And there are bands that can be broken. There are walls that can be torn down. There are strongholds that can be battered. There are things that have been deeply rooted that can be ripped up. If you've got some areas in your life that you keep struggling in, if you fast and pray about them and ask God for His strength and ask God for His help, I believe the Lord will help you. And the Lord will give you the grace and the strength that you need. Now you think with all these things, with the fasting, the Father's satisfaction, the fullness of the Spirit, the day uh, Scripture's being fulfilled, and there's a mighty move of God, you think, boy, this is going to be a mountaintop of shouting and glory. 
But instead, when he went up to that exceeding high mountain, he was tempted of the devil. Now, Brother Luke records this same episode, but he says he was tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. We're only privileged to get in on three of these temptations. Some say we see six of them, including those over in the Gospel of Luke because they're in a little different order. But regardless, we find that there are three here in Matthew that we're privileged to look at and examine and see. And when we look at these temptations, you'll find the root of every temptation that you face and that I face are under one of these three headings that Jesus had to face. And so, secondly, we see not only the setting of temptation, but look at the series of temptation. Now, it tells us there are three. In verse number three, the tempter came to him and said and began to tempt him. In verse number five, then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, and there he tempted him. In verse number eight, again, the devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain, and there he tempted him. Now, this gives us some truths about temptation that normally they don't come singularly. They usually bring company with them. We've all heard the old saying, when it rains, it pours. And if you ever notice that when you go through a time of temptation and trial, normally it's one hooked to the other, just like links in a chain. You could put that shingle over the book of Job, when it rains, it pours. I mean, when it started in on old Job, he lost his businesses, he lost his family, then boom, he lost his health, his friends came and criticized him, and then his wife told him, just curse God and die, man, it would just boom, 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 boom. There are days and times when I go through it, and I really, I have just stopped and laughed and looked around, because I know exactly where it's coming from. And when it comes unglued, everything seems to come unglued. I mean one after another. And so if you get hammered in one area, put your guard up. There'll be a brother, there'll be a cousin, there'll be a neighbor, there'll be another kinfolk temptation that'll come along and hammer on you as well. I think about Brother Joseph when it started on him. His brothers mocked him first. Then they lied on him. Then they throwed him in a pit. Then they sold him out. Then he got lied on by Potiphar's wife. Then he got forgotten by the butler and the baker. But then after all that long series of testings and trials and temptation, boom, overnight he was raised up to be the agricultural prime minister over all Egypt and became the right-hand man to the king ruling all over the world. So when you get hammered like that, Don't despair. Don't get discouraged. You can know that there's an end to these. You just stay faithful when they come toward you. Now, notice the threes of these temptations. In verse number three, he says, Command that these stones be made bread. The threes of temptation are found in 1 John 2, 15 through 16. You might want to Make a note of that in your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. All that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. No, brother John is describing what Jesus faced, but 
at the same time, this is what Adam and Eve faced back yonder in the garden. Uh, There was the lust of the flesh. Verse 6, there was a temptation toward the pride of life. Thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Just show us who you are. Be evil, Knievel. I mean, just show everybody. Show out here. Then in verse 9, the lust of the eyes. And and verse number 8, all these things will I give you, all the kings of the, whatever your eyes see, whatever they lust on, I'll just give that all to you. And when you break it all down, that's the three areas that we're going to get hit in. Now think about, first of all, the lust of the flesh. Command that these stones be made bread. Now the Lord's been without anything to eat 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he was a hungered. His stomach was being pinched. And that's what hunger means. That's why a little baby, it don't know what's going on, but it knows something's wrong because when hunger hits it, there's a little pinching in his stomach. It's going to cry and squall until finally it gets something to eat. And then, boy, it's satisfied because that is fulfilled. Well, Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil appeals to that need of his flesh. And he says, if thou be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. You know, the Bible tells us how that this lust of the flesh, it often appeals more to young people. In 2 Timothy 2.22, flee off youthful lust. And young people have a lot of the lust of the flesh. Hot hormones running in their body. And they lust after a boy or they lust after a girl. Or uh, they have a lot of infant. But that's not just confined to young people. These old folk that have that lust of the flesh too. And then there's the lust of the eyes. That seemed to be prominent among Uh, The middle class, all the kingdoms will I give thee, not wanting any property except that which borders them. And then when they get that, they want some more of that. Lust of the eyes, more, 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 more. And not knowing when to say when, when's enough. We're hearing about all these millionaires and billionaires and all these rich folk today. My soul got more money than they even know how to spend. They spend a million dollars a day. They'd never spend it all in a whole lifetime. And yet they're greedy and they want more, 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 more. But it never does satisfy. Solomon, he made gold as plentiful as the sand of the seashores. And there are people that chase after more, more, more. The lust of the eyes, whatever they see, they got to have it. They got to have it. That's what advertisement plays on. Oh, you just got to have it. The Joneses have got it. You've got to have it. Oh yeah, you've been living here too. You need the new. You need more, 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 more. And that's the way the devil is. All this will I give to you if you'll just compromise it. If you'll just uh, follow me. If you just cut an edge here, or cut an edge there, then uh, I'll give this to you. And then there's the pride of life. Uh, just cast yourself down. Uh, show them who you really are. Uh, you know they don't believe you're the son of God, but you just. Uh, Uh, Show them you are the Son of God. Uh, You show them who you really are. You know, I think about Adam and Eve and how the devil deceived them. Uh, Starting out there, they saw that the apple or the, it wasn't an apple, we don't know what fruit it was, was good for food. Yea, hath God said. Just go ahead and take you a bite of this. And the devil will chew on stuff. The devil will advertise it. He'll show you, oh man, uh, but it don't matter what the devil advertises or says, it's not good. And she saw that it was to be to make you wise. 
Uh, Eve saw that uh, it was a fruit that gives wisdom, knowing good from evil. And then he said, ye shall be as gods. You can have territory and terrain that you haven't attained to yet. You can get more. You can take advantage. This will advance you and give you advantage if you'll just follow me. And the devil throws all of these temptations out there and uh, tries to get us to be tripped up and follow after them. But I want you to look at the solution of temptation. How did Jesus handle what the devil was throwing at him? Well, let's just go through them. Verse number 3, Then the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, and I like your pulpit. It is written. We got a little old sign in our tent meeting. We put up on the altar. It is written. It is written. And when Jesus dealt with the devil, he didn't give him his opinion. He didn't give him the philosophy of the day. He laid the book to him. And the only offensive weapon you and I have got to overcome the devil is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I have been talking to people and dealing in situations. They say, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible. Don't give me the Bible. I'm like old brother James Esser, a friend of mine. He says out there street preaching, this guy told him, said, I don't believe the Bible. He said, I just kept putting the verses to him. He said, it's like saying, I don't believe in a 44 Magnum pistol. You go to pulling the trigger. Amen, firing the bullets to make a believer out of them. Boy, you keep throwing that word of God at him. Just keep putting it. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus knew where the power was at. He's the incarnate word, but the incarnate word used the written word of God. Little girl asked her daddy one time, said, Daddy, are we having a revival? And he said, I hope so. So the first thing Jesus used was the canon of the scripture. The canon means the combined scripture, the word of God. But in the canon of the scripture, he used particularly the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book that dealt with the temptations of Israel there in the wilderness. And if a lot of folk were appointed to overcome temptation by Deuteronomy, they'd fail right there, never have even read the book of Deuteronomy. But he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and verse number 3. And I challenge you to go back and read Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Deuteronomy 8, God outlines and deals with the temptations of the wilderness and the things that Israel would go through with. Then the Lord reminds them, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Turn these stones into bread. You To live, you've got to have bread. Jesus said there's more to life than bread. You remember in John chapter number 4 when the woman came there to get water and the disciples were gone and Jesus uh, led her to himself and said, I that speak unto thee am he. And on that she left, went back and got the others in the village and brought them down there. But uh, the disciples came back and laid the food out there and said, Master, eat. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And they thought, if any man brought him all to eat, I know what, she was a vendor. She brought him something to eat. That's why he's not hungry. And he just had to make it plain to him. And he said, no, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It was a spiritual meat and a spiritual fullness. 
Jesus is saying the fullness of the heart is more than just having a piece of bread and materialism. People keep thinking more, 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 and they sacrifice their home, they sacrifice their life, they sacrifice their testimony, and everything else to try to make those stones turned into bread. Communism says just give up your freedom, give up your rights, hand it over to the government, and everybody will have the same, and materialistically we'll be on the same plane. But they're a bunch of liars. I preached in Russia right after communism fell, and the Russians had a saying, communism builds palaces, not people. They enrich themselves, and the government officials have found a way to tax and bring all that income to themselves and starve the people. It's all a fallacy. It's all a lie. But you're not going to be full. You're not going to be satisfied in your heart by bread alone. It's going to take every word of God. So he used the canon of Scripture. Every time the devil came at him, he said, It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, the devil will argue, me, you, me and you in a hole. But thank God we can put the it is written. I witnessed to a lady just this past weekend. My grandboys, we were eating a restaurant, and this lady was a real nice waitress and all that. And at the end, I got the witness to her and and she said, oh, said, you know, I, I believe in the virgin birth and Jesus died and all of that. And I love Jesus. But, you know, I believe the Mohammedans and the Buddhists and uh, these other religions, they're going to heaven too. I said, did you say you believed in Jesus? She said, yes. I said, well, you know what Jesus said, don't you? She said, what? I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I said, I'm not the one that excluded everybody else that don't come through Jesus. Jesus is the one that said that. And if you really believe in him and you say you love him, then you're going to have to believe what he said. And the rest of this crowd that rejects Jesus is not going to heaven because Jesus said he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And she won't try to argue. And I said, no, we're going to leave it right there at that. And I just left it with her. Amen. But the it is written. What did Jesus say? Every time it is written, the canon of Scripture. Number two, he used the comparison of Scripture. In verse number six, the Bible says, He saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. The devil said, Oh, you're going to quote Scripture? I'll get in the Bible quoting Scripture. Everything quoting Bible and everything toting the Bible, that doesn't mean they're of God. He said, why, you know that promise where the angels are given charge concerning thee, and in their hands they'll bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone uh, at any time. And you know, the devil misquoted this scripture. In all thy ways he left out. Uh, he just laid it out as the angels are watching over you. Just go do whatever you want to do. But Jesus said unto him, it is written again. Now, I was going through this scripture, and I looked up every word, because I wanted to get the exact meaning out of it. You know, I started not to even look the word again up, but I was so glad that I did. Because when you look that word again up, it means oscillatory repetition. Now, you remember, I remember when I was in the third grade, old Miss Irvin brought her tuning forks to school, set them on her desk. And she had two tuning forks. One was a high C and one was a low C tuning fork. And she hit that low C tuning fork and it went, uh, 
And all of a sudden, the high sea started going, and she hadn't even touched it. And then she stopped them. Then she hit the high sea, and we sort of thought she was witchy anyhow, but that scared us to death. How could that happen? If you are a guitar player and you've ever tuned your guitar next to a string piano, and boy, you hit the right string, suddenly the piano starts, uh, the string starts moving in it, you know, and you look at that. They say the old harps, when they would tune them, they'd put an old tuned harp in one corner, and they'd get the new harp in the other corner, and let's say he's tuning the C string, he'd dong, 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 and then the other harp would start vibrating on that C string, and he knew that he was in exact complete harmony that's oscillatory repetition one bouncing off the other until they come into harmony well that's the way the Bible is I wanted to puke when Barack Obama went to Emmanuel College in his running for presidency and he got up and said you Christians you Christians said uh, you say your Bible believe you can't run a nation by the Bible what are you going to do? Stone a rebellious son like in Deuteronomy? Why, the military couldn't even stand the scrutiny of the Sermon on the Mount. And he started pulling verses out of text and context. And I thought, yeah, I know who's talking through you. You're just a sock. And the devil's got his hand run up your spine. Amen. And you can make a Bible say anything you want to say if you don't have oscillatory repetition. I can prove to you fellas that are fishing with these night crawlers that you're sinning. I took my grandboys fishing the other day, $4.50 a dozen. Good night. I got rich when I was a boy. We pulled a thousand worms a night at Tuxedo Playground whenever it come a good rain. Sell them to Welton Bradley for a half a cent apiece. If I could get four and a half dollars a dozen now, I'd go to pulling night crawlers. But man, we got those, and I told those boys, I said, you don't need a whole worm. I'd break them in half, put a half one on the hook, you know. That old fish don't need the whole thing anyhow. But the Bible says what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So I was sinning, you know, by breaking night crawlers in half. But it's not talking about night crawlers, it's talking about marriage, amen. Well, the devil took a text out of context and made a pretext. And that's the way the devil does. That's why you need to know the whole Bible. This Bible is a book of complete harmony. It vibrates one against the other, and one scripture interprets the other. And when you properly understand, as Nehemiah said, he had the people stand, and he read, and he gave the meaning therein. There is a harmony that comes together. Now this scripture was used in Jesus' life. They picked up stones to stone him in John, and God froze them. He wouldn't let them. The angels froze them down. They wanted to push him off the, off the cliff there in Nazareth and God just protected him. But he was following the ways of God, not just out there playing something stupid. Amen. So there is the comparison of Scripture. And then we find that there's something else that the Lord used and that was the command of Scripture. Upon that exceeding high mountain to fall down and worship him, Satan says, Bypass the cross. You won't have to go through all the whippings, the beating, the rejections, the worst day on the face of the earth for any human being to ever go through. You'll dodge all that, Jesus. If you just bow down 
and worship me. And Jesus looked at him and said, No, it is written. There's a command in Scripture that said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And what you worship is what you'll wind up serving. You worship money, you'll wind up serving, and instead of it serving you, you'll serve it. You worship lust, you'll find out you'll be a bond to that lust like the prodigal son that got marred up in the hog pen. And Jesus said, there's a flat command, I am forbidden to worship you, any idols, anybody, or anything but the Lord God. Anytime you find a Bible reason to sin, you can mark it down, the devil has interpreted that scripture. And we got a lot of, quote, quote, they call it progressive, it's regressive, movements in churches all across this land. Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, said the other day, and this is public, he said, the believer has no responsibility in the New Testament to the Old Testament Ten Commandments. I thought, Andy, you ought to at least read the Bible one time before you make a stupid statement like that. Because even in Timothy, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the pastoral epistles. And we're not saved by the commandments in any way, but they still govern our lives. Jesus is our Sabbath, and that's why the Sabbath wasn't mentioned, and that's why we worship on the Lord's Day, but the other commandments are there. And they want to take the commandments off the courthouse walls. I like what Phil Robertson told them. He said, oh, you won't take the commandments off the courthouse wall. He said, now, wait a minute. Let's just look at a few of them. Uh, Let's say that you kill somebody. Well, you're going to wind up down there at the courthouse facing the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Uh, Let's say you run around on your wife. He said, she's going to haul you into the courthouse, and you're going to have to face that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, let's say you get all hopped up and you want to go out here and steal something from somebody and uh, you get covetous. Well, you're going to wind up down there at the courthouse and you're going to have to face that commandment. And they may try to get rid of them, but they're still there and that governs the society and governs the people. I want to say, my friend, that the Bible has guidelines and when you find a Bible reason to sin, the devil has interpreted that scripture. And I see them laughing at holiness, mocking at righteousness, making fun of believers that want to sell out lock, stock, and barrel, acting like we're a bunch of idiots. When you look plain at the Scripture, the Word of God, and see what the Scripture says, and they get all uptight about that and want to explain it away, Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, I refuse to go that route because it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Him only shalt thou serve. I'm not bound down to you regardless of what advantage you say that it might give me. Jesus overcame and the angels came to him. They were standing in the background. They were watching an innumerable company of angels. They were watching the Lord go to bat and to fight against the devil and the cohorts of hell. And after Satan left Jesus like a whipped puppy dog, the angels came to the Lord. 
And they looked him over. They checked him out. I believe they folded two wings over their feet, put two wings over their face, and hovered with two wings. And I believe they said, Holy, Holy, Holy. He didn't fail in any of these temptations. He's as holy as he was, seated upon the throne in glory. He is the Holy Son of God. Jesus overcame. But you know, we've got something to overcome temptation that Jesus didn't have. What's that, preacher? We have the Christ of Scripture. Amen. Wasn't anybody there to help him. He faced it all by himself. He overcame by his own power and his own strength. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, 16 through 18, that when we are tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That word succor is used two times in the Bible. It's used there. And it's used in the life of David. David is an old king, decided he wanted to go fight with the boys one more time. There's a pastel of giants needed whipping over there, and the old man said, I want to get in one more good tussle before I catch out of here. And sure enough, they got into it, and here come this big giant, and he picked out old David, and he came over there, and he pinned David to the ground, and he held him down, and he was fixing to take his sword and chop his head off, and David cried out, Help! And Abishai, his mighty man, come running up behind that giant and suckered David. He was fixing to whop David. Off came that giant's head. That word sucker means run when called for. Hallelujah. And the Bible said that Jesus is able to succor them that are tempted. And when you and I are tempted, you know what we're to do? Help, Lord. Jesus, I need your help. When the devil knocks on your door, send Jesus to the door. Lord, I need your strength. I need your help. I need your grace. And when we start seeking him and his mercy and his goodness, he comes to help us. Come to the throne of grace boldly to seek help in the time of need. Right before the ship goes down, you cry out. He'll throw the lifeline and he'll help you not suffer you to be tempted that above which you're able to bear because he will with the temptation provide a way of escape. And he is the way of escape. And we look to him and we trust him and we ask him for help. You know what he'll do? He'll give you help and he'll give grace. My, so what a blessing it is to overcome and step into victory. Say, glory to God, the devil didn't get the victory on me this time. Jesus helped me. Say, well, preacher, I failed. I've fallen flat on my face. What can I do? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us small and righteous. If Jesus would have failed, there'd have been no salvation for us. And there'd have been no restoration for him, but he didn't fail. But for you and me, glory be to God. Even in our trials and temptations, we can fall before him and ask him for forgiveness and restoration and help. Thank God this mountain of temptation can be a glorious mountain rather than a place where we're crushed and defeated by the devil. Let's all stand all over the house. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Sister, would you come on to piano, please?
Whether you're here tonight and you've never been saved by the grace of God, what this young lady did this morning is what you need to do. You just need to move out from where you're at, get in this altar and come ask the Lord to save you. The reason we need saving is because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus didn't sin. He didn't come short. He conquered the devil, sin, death, and hell. Through Him, you can be saved by the grace of God. You don't have to die and go to hell. You can be saved. Won't you come get in this altar and ask the Lord to save you? And as a child of God, tonight maybe you just need to look to the Christ of Scripture and ask Him to help you. I know coming into this revival effort, the devil's going to hammer folk. And he's going to work on every one of us. Not a one of us are exempt. You want to come pray tonight and ask God to help you to have victory this week already. The devil's attacked. I know he has. I don't have to guess. I know. I talk to people all the time. I get ready for a revival. I just brace because here he comes. But you know what? I'm glad, thank God, there's victory in Jesus. What's the devil trying to do to beat you down and to hinder you and to stop you? Hey, young people, how's the devil assaulting you? Won't you get in this altar and ask God to give you victory and give you help and give you grace to overcome? Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, revival begins with us. It'll flow down through the family. God spoke to you. You want to come? Come on right now. Pray. Join these around this altar seeking the Lord's face. We're going to wait for a few moments and the Lord spoke to you. You want to come? Come on. What temptation's besetting you? What's tripping you up? What do you need victory over? What do you need victory in? What are you facing that you need wisdom and guidance and leadership? As it's coming toward you, you need to brace and prepare for it. I don't know what you're going through, but I know the one that'll help you in the midst of it all. Amen.